Good morning, everyone. Are you doing well? I hope so. Friends at home, it's nice to see you as well. If we've not met, my name is Charlie Salamone, lead pastor here. And so at OSU, we had been doing a series on the Old Testament book of Genesis. <clears throat> We're going to pause that series. When we began the series, I told you that we were going to take some breaks because um, it's, it's probably going to take years, to be honest. Uh, and so we're going to take a break from Genesis. Lord willing, we'll, we'll, we will be back there. Um, but just thought that it would be a good reason, a good time to take a break for a couple of reasons. And I think that will be evident as we keep going. I'll explain that. For now, I just want to jump into the passage at hand, and, well, you'll see what we're doing. Daniel chapter 2, beginning verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. That's how it begins. We have a king in Babylon. It's about 600 B.C. He's been having some bad dreams, and he can't sleep. Um... A little bit about this fellow, Nebuchadnezzar. He might be the most powerful man, worldly speaking, that's ever walked the earth at this point. He, he conquered the world um, in the name of Babylon, ruled the nations. God gave him the wisdom and the power to do so. And about Nebuchadnezzar, he was a, kind of a maniac. And we're going to see that today. Kind of a maniac, a, a narcissist, no doubt, ruthless. He invaded uh, Jerusalem twice in 597 B.C. and then 10 years later in 587 B.C. And he was not nice about it. Uh, he, the second time, he took the king of Judah and he killed the guy's sons right in front of him before burning out his eyes. So it leaves you with a, not a good memory. Um, he was not good, and we'll see that. And that's actually part of the reason we're here. A lot of people have been feeling really unsettled lately, right? I mean... This is the closest in my lifetime we've ever been to, like, uh, finding ourselves in a world where nuclear-powered countries are at war. I mean, we're not there, but everyone's asking that question. The last time there was a world war, which historically wasn't that long ago in the grand scheme of things, some, like, 70, 80 million people died. Okay. It's really easy to feel unsettled. So I thought it would be good to talk about things that are going to come clear in this uh, chapter in the book of Daniel. Things about the nations, things about the world and the God who rules over the nations. That's part of why we're here. The other reason we're here in this specific uh, portion of Scripture is what we're dealing with here is the time of the exile. The time when God's people were taken from Israel and brought into, into Babylon. And the time of the exile 
is really relevant to us. If you remember a few weeks ago when I was walking through the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament, Peter calls the believers exiles. We're the exiles. As in he's connecting the Christian life that we're all in, he's connecting the Christian life with the time of the exile, the time when, when the people of Israel were not living in their home. They were living in, a, in, a, in another kingdom as they were waiting for God's kingdom. And he's saying that's us. Our heavenly home is heaven. That's our home. We're citizens of heaven, but we live here. And what does that mean for us? Okay? We're going to see a little bit of that, and, and, and we're going to get a better understanding of, of what it means to see through the lens of an exile. Um, and, and when I did that sermon a few weeks ago, I think it brought in a lot of questions. We realized that this is something that people have a lot of questions about. And so we thought, you know what? We're going to take a break from... from from Genesis for a little while, and, and we're going to talk about what it means to be in this world and living in this world, but not of this world, as Jesus said it. We live in this world, but we're citizens of heaven. And historically, this is something that I think has been misunderstood, and a lot of times Christians, you know, perhaps with good intentions, have gotten this wrong. Some people have thought, well, we're not of this world, so we need to separate from everything. We need to go create our little Christian bubble community and not engage in civil life in any ways and, you know, not have friends who aren't Christians and things like that. And, well, here, you know, the main character of our, of our story, in a sense, Daniel, we're going to see not only is he not separated from Babylon, he actually works for King Nebuchadnezzar in his court, okay? And he has a great influence on the city of Babylon, Okay, so uh, we're going to see a little bit of what it means to live in, in, as an exile, but nevertheless in the world. We're not of the world, but we're called to be salt and light. And so we'll, we'll talk about this today, but this is something we're going we're to continue to talk about, what, is it, what it means to be in the world, but not, but not of the world. Okay. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and then we're going to just dive right into this passage. I feel like I have a lot to talk about. Father God, help me do that in, in a way that's uh, clear, concise, um, helpful, uh, conveys your heart, led by your Holy Spirit. Let it be evident that I'm led by your Holy Spirit, and it's, and it's your truth that's being proclaimed through me, Lord. Help people see through me to, to, to you, to your goodness, to your character, and um, let this all be to your glory. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so King Nebuchadnezzar, kind of a wild, crazy maniac, narcissist, is having a bad dream, a, a number of bad dreams, and he's troubled. So what does he do? Verse 2, So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. Okay, what well, seems to be is Nebuchadnezzar, when he conquered all these nations and, 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 and created this world empire in the name of Babylon, from all the nations, he would grab whatever spiritual wise people that the nations had, 
And he'd say, come on, you're going to be my advisor. So that's why he's got these, you know, magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers. In the book of Daniel, they're called wise men. Okay, just leave that in the back of your mind for a while because we might come back to that. Um, he's got these wise men that he, that he called in, astrologers and such. Um, and this happens all throughout the book and uh, in different ways. He calls upon these wise men. And so far it seems everything seems normal. Come in, interpret the dream for me. But, you know, um, interpreting a dream is kind of like, uh, in one respect, anyone could do it. As in, anyone could give their opinion on what it means. You know, I had this dream of, you know, a cat. It's like, it means that you're going to see a cat tomorrow. It's like, anyone could say what they want. But Nebuchadnezzar is not interested in people just saying what they want. He... Uh, is calling on these people because they claim to have a special kind of spiritual insight, right? And he wants to make sure that they're not just telling them, that they're not just, you know, saying what they think. And he's got a little bit of a plan. Uh, look what he says next. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more, they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. So I don't know if you caught what's going on here. He's saying, okay, I want you to interpret the dream, but just so I know that you're not just making up whatever you think, I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. Okay, because if you really have special spiritual insight and you're really able to interpret dreams, then you should be able to tell me what the dream is. Oh yeah, one more thing, and if you can't, I'm going to kill all you. Because I think you've really just been misleading me with your supposed spiritual insights. So tell me what the dream is, then interpret it for me, or you're all dead. Okay, um... How do you respond to that? Well, let's see what the astrologers and wise men have to say to that. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. Okay, so you might think that the king was being unreasonable. I think a case could be made. <laughs> a case could be made that the king is being unreasonable. But how do the quote-unquote wise men respond? They say, no king has ever asked anything of this. Um, what are they getting at? They're kind of um, accusing the king of being unreasonable. Which, again, you could argue is true. But even if it is true, is it wise and tactful 
to accuse King Nebuchadnezzar of being unreasonable. It's neither wise nor tactful. <laughs> and as we see, we, we've already known that he's kind of a loose cannon. And what do the scriptures say? A, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh response stirs up anger. Uh, the king might have been being unreasonable, but their reaction to that made things worse. Because now, now the king is saying, all the wise men, kill them now. Okay? He's done waiting. He's done with anything. He sends out the executioners. Kill them all. Okay? Verse 13. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death. And men were sent out to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. My, oh, my. Daniel and our friends, these are the captives from Israel. They get a knock on the door, and it's their executioner. I've been sent with orders from the king to kill you. You guys have, have you guys had any... Uh, stressors this week <laughs> you know have you had any unexpected bad news or just things not go according to plan things that you know uh tempt you into being you know frustrated stressed what about your executioner knocking on the door <laughs> there's something but daniel in the face of this he responds with, with wisdom and tact, is what it says. And notice he doesn't do what the other wise men did in, you know, making accusations. What does he do? Um, interestingly, I decided to just do a little reading this week, and I came across an article that was, um, that was on... The NYPD, the New York Police Department's training manual for hostage negotiators. Okay? So trying to talk to, you know, unhinged, dangerous, you know, people. And the number one principle is what they call talk to me. As in, be a good listener. Tell me what's going on. Make them feel heard. Tell me what's going on. Tell me how you feel. What's going on? And that's precisely what Daniel's doing here. In, in the next two verses, he's asking questions. First of the executioner, then of the king. Um, you know, all the other principles when it comes to, you know, dealing with tact and wisdom are, are things that you might expect. Be respectful. Uh, be, you know, gentle. Um. You know, again, uh, uh, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a uh, harsh word stirs up anger. Stay calm. That's kind of like the big one. Um, well, stay calm. 
You got a, your executioner at the door. Stay calm. <laughs> that's one of those things that's easier said than done, right? I mean, I don't think any of us ever plans to get stressed out and get angry. I think anytime that happens, it's kind of just something that, you know, stirs, on, stirs us in us, stirs up in us. So here's a question. How do we stay calm when our executioner is at the door, you know, or that's an extreme example, or, or when the world seems very unsettled and you wonder, are we on the brink of, a, of another great war, things like that? How do you, how you stay calm? Daniel's able to, and I think one of the reasons that Daniel's able to stay calm is he knows something. He knows something about the kingdom of Babylon. As in, he knows something about the kingdoms of this world and something that's going to be, become evident as we keep reading. Daniel's calm, and I think it's connected with something that he knows. And it's something that we should, we should know also. So anyways, um, Daniel is able to... Uh, um, you know, the, 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 the crisis is diverted for now. He was able to get more time from the king to actually interpret the dream. You know, the, the execution has been stayed. Um, but, but now he's got a new problem. As in, now i got to figure out what the, the, this dream was and, and tell it to the king. So what does he do? Well, verse 17, Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. These are his friends, also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, So what does Daniel do? I have to know this dream to interpret it or we're all dead. What does he do? It's very, very not complicated. (laughs) They start praying. (laughs) They start praying for wisdom. It's, It's... not complicated at all. There are a lot of things in this world that, that, that can stress us out. There are a lot of things in my life that can stress me out. Few things have been more comforting than this principle, this promise. Let me just show you one verse from the New Testament. Take a break from Daniel for just a moment. Um, James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom... You should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. There are some things that God promises to give us whenever we ask. And this is one of them. Wisdom. If you need wisdom, and Daniel is in a situation where wisdom is very much needed, if you need wisdom, you should ask God, and he's happy to supply it. I think that when I am with, um, you know, the other staff members of the church or perhaps the other leaders, they might think that I don't really know how to pray. <laughs> because every time it's my turn to pray, I always say the same things. And I'm always asking for wisdom. It's kind of like my go-to prayer. Because anytime I'm with the other leaders, I feel like we're in a circumstance where we need God's wisdom. Wisdom comes from from God. If we need wisdom, we should ask God. He's happy to give it. 
who is the wise among us is the, ones, the one who asks for God's wisdom. And, and in contrast, foolishness is thinking that you already have it and you don't need to ask. Okay? That's pride, thinking that you already have wisdom. Um, let us be a people who are, who are going to God and asking for wisdom because he's very happy to give it graciously. He, he does it without finding fault. Okay? He doesn't say, no, I'm going to hold back wisdom from you because you did this, this, this. He, he's, he's happy to give it. And, and so Daniel knows that, so him and his friends are praying. Well, verse 19, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to me the dream of the king. God gave him the wisdom he asked for. This is, this is like this huge aspect of the Christian life. Ask and receive. The joy of having God answer your prayers. And, and having your soul just strengthen with this reality. God is with us. This is just, what is how does the scripture go? This is Psalm 50, verse 15. Call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. God is glorified by helping his people when they call upon him in the day of trouble. That's what just happened here. Truly, it's, it's, it's one of the great joys of the Christian life, being in a desperate situation, asking God for help, and seeing God's help. So, so Daniel's singing, singing the praise of God. And I told you, Daniel knows something. He knows something. And you see it in verse 21. This is a major theme of the book of Daniel. Speaking of God, he changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and he raises up others. Do you see this? Daniel is in Babylon. He's in exile as we are. And he knows something. In Babylon, God is king. Okay? Above all nations, God is king. He changes times. He changes seasons. As in you have this king rising up, this king rising up. God's in control of all of it. He's the one appointing kings. He's the one removing kings. And sometimes those kings are, are, are good, reasonable people. Sometimes they're kings like Nebuchadnezzar. But Daniel knows God has a plan. He's above all of this. There's no reason to freak out when the nations rage. Because God's on the throne, changing times, changing seasons. So we can have peace, and we can have comfort in the midst of the storm. Um, you're probably wondering what the dream was. We don't have time to get into all of it. It's, it's uh, four kingdoms are prophesied. Um, four great world empires that will rise. Babylon, the Persian, the, the, the Greek, and then the Romans. And then there'll be another kingdom that will arise out of that, which will shatter all the other kingdoms, a kingdom that is not built by the hands of man. Uh, the kingdom of God is coming. That's the essence of the dream. 
The kingdom of God is coming. And Nebuchadnezzar is told what his dream was, and, he, and of course, you know, he's very thankful, but it doesn't sink into his heart, you know? It doesn't sink in. Because then the next chapter, he is commanding all people to worship a golden image that he made, and uh, Daniel's friends won't do that, and he throws them into a fiery furnace out of anger. This guy, Nebuchadnezzar, is still, you know, as narcissistic, and uh, he's, he's a, a wild egomaniac for sure. Why is God raising up such a man? What is God doing? In all things, God is, is telling the story of his glory. In all things, God is working everything out for a great testimony of his goodness. And you might be looking at this world and saying, well, uh, I don't see it. <laughs> I don't see it. I can read the history of mankind and there's some pretty awful things. I don't see it. You can't judge a movie halfway through, you know. You can't read one of the great epics and put it down halfway through and say this is no good. Um, God's not done yet. And he's not done in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> killed the king of Judah, who knows what sort of other atrocities he has done. Um, and that's why Daniel chapter 4 is very, very strange and very, very attention-grabbing. The book of Daniel was written by, you guessed it, the prophet Daniel, but not all of it. Daniel did not write all of the book of Daniel. Chapter 4 is written by the most unlikely of sources. Let's jump ahead to chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Do you see who is writing by, by the breath of the Holy Spirit? Who is writing the scripture here? Wild King Nebuchadnezzar. And this is very strange because the words that are coming out of his mouth sound like one of the letters of the Apostle Paul, <laughs> you know? And he is praising the Most High God. The man who, who, who worshipped only himself is looking and seeing a God above it all. A kingdom above his own kingdom. What on earth has happened to King Nebuchadnezzar? Well, he gives his testimony in this chapter. Uh, we don't have time to walk through all of it. I'll try to summarize he tells what happened. He says, um, he says that, uh, you know, um, he is standing on his, well, he has a dream, and um, he has another dream, and King Nebuchadnezzar is a slow learner, because he has this other dream that is troubling him, and who does he call? Does he call Daniel? No, he calls 
the astrologers and the enchanters, and he calls the wise men, and once more they can't help him. So then he's like, well, I guess I'll try Daniel. I'll see if he has anything. You know, and Daniel tells him, well, this dream, it was a dream of a, of a great tree, and, and a tree that was over all the world, and a great tree that gets cut down. And Daniel tells him, I'm sure very respectfully and gently, um, King, it's you. Um, you're going to be cut down. And he, and, he, and he pleads with the king, stop oppressing. Stop oppressing people. Um, practice righteousness. And the king blows him off. And a year later, the king, it says he was standing on his balcony. He tells the story about himself. I was standing on my balcony, and I was looking out at my kingdom, and I said to myself, this is the great Babylon that I have built with my own hands for my own glory out of my own wisdom. You know, I'm sure it was beautiful. They say the gardens of Babylon was one of the great wonders of the ancient world. And Nebuchadnezzar was thinking, ah, I built it. I did it. And then he heard a voice. Your kingdom is taken from you. And there's more to it than that, but Nebuchadnezzar, for a season, goes mad. Becomes like a beast. Um, he was very proud of his wisdom. In a moment, God took it all away. Um, the God who gave you the strengths that you have can just as easily take it away. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar learned that, and, and um, for seven years, he, he lived as a, as a madman. He tells that story. Um, and then... Pick it up in verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. This is so amazing in so many ways. Nebuchadnezzar singing the the praises of God. Someone might read this and say, man, this God is really egotistical, right? He has to, like, humble this great king just so the king acknowledges him. But I want you to see that this is God's goodness because Nebuchadnezzar is not just confessing God out of submission. He's praising God out of joy, okay? Before, he was very happy and joyful looking at his own kingdom, but now he has a greater joy. While his eyes are not on what he has built, but is a greater joy with his eyes on a greater king. King Nebuchadnezzar is speaking. He's speaking of a greater kingdom, and he's speaking of a greater king. Verse 37, I glorify the king of heaven. God is working out his great story, and, and yes, yes, you have people like Pharaoh. There was a wicked ruler. God raised him up. 
for the purpose of showing God's power in Pharaoh's judgment. There's, there's glory there. But I think there's a greater glory here of God showing his glory in saving a prideful, wicked ruler. Um, God is above it all. This is, this is, this is, the, this is the point. I want to I end by showing you a psalm. We're going to see the whole psalm. It's just three verses. But this is, this is a big take-home that I want us to see during this time of exile. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. So this psalm was on my heart as I was thinking about these passages. It was on my heart, this idea of not concerning yourself with matters that are too great for you, things that are outside of your pay grade, things that are just um, not really entrusted for you to be concerned about. And I was thinking about this, and there was something that just wasn't connecting, okay? It was like, um, you know, Tuesday afternoon, I believe, and it's like 5 p.m., and I was like, I, like, I got to go home, but I really wish I understood this whole deal about the weaned child. What is the weaned child all about? How does that have to do with, with anything? And I thought to myself, I think the Lord's just going to have to show me what this means. And, and uh, I can't make this up. I was like, I, maybe through like a circumstance in life. Sometimes God does this, but I don't understand something, and then something happens to me, and I'm like, now I get it. And honestly, I left work thinking, you know, maybe that's what's going on. And um, I go home. Um, Aaron uh, had something going on. Uh, she had to bring some of the older kids somewhere. And so I'm left in charge. Um, and my little five-year-old, Josh, um, he's really picky, trying to get him something to eat and doesn't want to eat dinner. Finally, we settle on multigrain Cheerios. And, uh, and Joshy has eaten his multigrain Cheerios. And he stops and he says to me, Dad, bad news. What is it, Joshy? Russia invaded Ukraine. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> and he goes back to eating his multigrain Cheerios, you know. Um, and obviously it was something he heard some grown-up say or something. Um, He's not really that, you know, concerned about it or anything. You know, it's funny, right? It's funny because, you know, uh, a little five-year-old being concerned about such matters is, is funny. And he wasn't concerned. It was, he just repeating something he heard. Um, but there's a point here. It's like, like a weaned child, I've calmed and quieted myself. Like weaned meaning it's not a newborn. It's a child who's, you know, able to understand certain things. But the child is at comfort next to its mother, you know, realizing just like Joshua is sitting eating his Cheerios thinking, okay, a nation is invading another nation, but those are things that grown-ups deal with, you know. It's, it's really not my job to be concerned about that, okay. Um, this is a heart of trust, a heart of trust. And this is like the great exhortation I have for you. Like, God's on the throne. He knows what he's doing. Um, he has a plan. 
We don't need to worry. We don't need to be concerned. That doesn't mean that, that you know, that we're inactive and we don't do anything. You know, I have a friend who's, who's going there to help and to offer aid, you know. And it's like there's ways that we can give our resources and ways that we can help. Um, but the great point, when I say we are not of the world, the first thing that means is that we trust in God. We trust him. And, and, and this, this comes back to Jesus. He who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all, will he not with him graciously give us all things? Meaning that God is for us. He has shown that he's for us through the great sacrifice of Jesus. He has shown himself to be a God who loves us and a God, if he's willing to do that, then he's going to take care of us through these trials, through these troubles. He's never going to leave us. If we keep our eyes on that, when the world is, is going upside down, when there's executioners at our door, we can have calm. We can have quietness in our spirit because God's with us. And he's taking care of us. We can go back to eating our multigrain Cheerios and we can enjoy the things of life while we live and serve God here in, in, in Babylon while being a citizen of heaven. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. Father God, help us do that, Lord. Help us do that. Help us be a people who are raptured up in this hope, this trust that you're with us now and forever. Help us have peace. Help us believe that you're on the throne above all nations and you're working out your plan for good. And help us be salt and light. Help us, help us know um, just how to serve you and glorify you during this time, Lord. Uh, we, we, we praise you in your name, Jesus. Amen.